The rest of you can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We have the privilege of uh, talking about different types of stories so far. We have this marriage story, we have the story of parenting, and we have the story of work. And they're all related to submission. In fact, I would submit to you in a different sense of the word submission, that, uh, that you can learn different things about submission from each one. Each one of these relationships have unique aspects to their relationship. But Paul has put these three together as a way, in some ways, of showing you different aspects of submission at the same time that apply to all three of the relationships. It's worth considering and looking at. Today is also uh, 9-11, right? It's the anniversary of 21 years ago when... Uh, Planes flew into the two Twin Towers, to the Pentagon, things like that. And uh, we, as uh, an, an, a nation, in a sense, w- woke up to the fact that we were at war, if we didn't know it already, in the sense of terrorists. And, and, and there were many explanations that came from that, right? Of like, what's going on here? Why is this happening? And uh, living in a sense of conflict with certain parts of the rest of the world. And, and there's explanations for that. Like uh, it was religious or it was, it was um, economic. It, it, there, and it was something else. It was just, and all of those explanations uh, emphasize the fact that we were at, in conflict, that we were at war. The, remembering those days is, um, is good to remember because it's good to remember those who have done extraordinary things like the firefighters that went in and they tried to save lives and you have the police officers who who did so many uh, noble and good things during that time but at the same time you you think to today you think to that sense of of the clash whether it's the clash of civilizations or uh, the, the the class war that some would say that people are in and you say, well, how do, we, how do we get beyond that? How do we move away from just thinking of ourselves continually at con- in conflict? And how do we um, think of it in terms of things that are positive, things that we can work toward? And here Paul, in a sense, is he's already laid the ground for this, work for this, and now he's applying it in various ways, saying, you know what, the biggest thing that you have to realize in this being filled with the Spirit and allowing that the Spirit to fill us in such a way that we become a dwelling place for God, that people from every tribe and tongue and nation, from every background and social class, can be together as part of the body of Christ as a dwelling place for God and the Spirit. Well, he's giving us the, the, the avenues by which we do that. And I want to look this morning at, um, at Ephesians 6, 5 through 9 in the area of work in particular. I'm applying it as the area of work for us because most of us, this is what it would apply to in that sense. But, but my big idea this, this morning is a sense is that, that, is, that it is a war in the sense that we're not at war with each other. We're ultimately at war with the devil and his forces, evil. And we do, in a sense, need to understand that we, if, if we approach Paul's message and we live out Paul's message, in a sense, we are ripping apart, apart off the darkness. We're saying, look, we don't have to live this way. We don't have to be always in conflict. We don't always have to, to, 
to see who's going to win in that sense, but we can rip a d- part of the darkness off and provide light and love by walking in wisdom and doing good by submitting, especially in our relationships at work. And to do that, I have to ask this question first, okay? Why does submission matter? Why, why is Paul putting so much of his emphasis here? Because um, submission is not the most popular idea if you think about whether you think about work or you think about marriage or you think about family or you think about anything. Submission is not the most popular idea. It's no fun to submit at work. I was thinking back over my work experiences and times that I had to submit. Um, the one that really stands out to me uh, was uh, when I was a freshman, I was, I was on the soccer team. I wanted to find a job, but I wanted to find it uh, on campus because I didn't have a car for one thing, and I wanted to uh, have flexible hours to pl- still play soccer. And so I ended up in food service, which was a great choice. I didn't know it at the time, but um, uh, I ended up in food service. And uh, I started off washing dishes. Um, I was like, oh, no big deal. I, know I can wash dishes. My mom taught me how to wash dishes. I can wash dishes. This is not that hard. Um, and I make money at it. So, hey, this is good, right? Um, but the second semester, actually, um, the director of food service came to me and one of the guys, we're both freshmen, and we were, he was like, you know what, I'm missing some evening cooks, and I want you two to alternate who, you know, cooking uh, the meal for supper time. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine? I mean, I'm a freshman. <laughs> Have I cooked uh, very much of my life? Absolutely not. You know, like, like I've watched my mom cook, you know, but me cook? No, I've not done that. But, uh, but I, was, I, I was also... Uh, brash enough at the time, I was like, sure, why not? You know, I'll try it out, you know. How hard can it be, <laughs> right? Um, and so I started cooking that, 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 that semester and learned the, the basics of cooking supper and, and, and making sure you know, the food got out in time, making sure it was hot enough, making sure, you know, nobody got sick because I cooked them a meal. And, uh, and uh, that went okay. So second semester, uh, so second year, as I started off, um, the, the, he, uh, the director put an assistant director in place. So for most of my time, that first that semester, my freshman year, I had, I'd kind of just, once I got up to speed, I'd just kind of done it, you know. There, but, this, but evidently, he decided, I'm going to put an assistant director in, and, and he came in at night, and he checked how I did. Does that make sense? Like, he came, and he's like, did you do the job you were supposed to do? And I thought, no problem, I've been doing the job that I've been supposed to do, no one's complained, I'm good, until he checked me, and then he's like, you didn't, you're not doing the job you're supposed to do, he's like, you're, you're not checking on the cashier, making sure she did her job, you're not checking on uh, the, 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 the one putting the, the food away, you're not, you know, make sure they did their job right, I'm like, and at the time, I was upset because I was like, no one's complained before, you know what I mean? It's not like I've killed the whole campus, getting them all sick. <laughs> no, nor, nor, and it doesn't look like the, the, the food service area is trashed because I was there. 
But I, I was missing a few things. I wasn't, there was a few areas where the cashier was supposed to clean certain areas really clean, and I, I was just looking at what I could see and not what I couldn't see, and, and get, making sure the things that I couldn't see were clean too. And, and also, I wasn't really checking to make sure all, everything was put away right. And so, I had a choice at that point in time. I could either submit to what the assistant director was telling me I was doing wrong, or I could resist, right? And I knew part of resisting could mean that, you know, well, I could just, like, they talk about quiet quitting, right? In today's world, sometimes you hear about quiet quitting. It's like, well, I'll do the minimum to get by, and whatever he checks on, I'll be like, oh, yeah, sorry, I forgot about that. I'm, or I, or I, could, I could just walk away from the job. I could find another job. Or I could submit. I could learn from the process, right? I could say, you know what? There are some things I've missed, obviously. I need to learn how to do my job properly in, in the ways that he wants it done. And, and that's ultimately what I chose to do. So that's why I continue to have a job <laughs> for the rest of my years in food service at, 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 in college. And, um, and, but it wasn't an easy choice in that sense. Um, it wasn't like I went to my boss and complained a ton, but I had to emotionally choose to say, you know what? It's important here that I choose to submit to the process. And and when you think about work, a lot of times submission is a part of this dynamic that we're in. It's it's like you have to, you know, different people make different choices and you have to kind of submit to those. And and when we get here to Ephesians chapter 6, you see that he, in this area of work, he he uses two, two people. He uses slaves and masters. He goes to the extreme he goes to that area where it's not just, well, it's your job to do, but you do get paid, but to it's, it's your job to do, and if you don't get paid, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? You still got to do it, because you're a slave. And when we get to that challenge in the Bible, obviously in today's world, we acknowledge that slavery is wrong. And, and they look at what Paul says here about slavery, and they say, well, it's not good enough. It's not, it's not adequate enough. And some people write the Bible off at this point and say, it's not a good enough ethic because it doesn't get rid of slavery. As we get into the text, I would submit that that is not true because later on in the passage that talks about to, to slaves and then it talks to masters and it says to masters, do the same to them. And in, in so doing, in a sense, Paul destroys the basis for most of the reasons why slavery exists in the world today. And that's a good thing. But also, as you look through the passage, you realize in this that then there, it's also, therefore, not about money. It's not the, the most important focus as we talk about work is not the money you earn. Paul is not so concerned with that. He doesn't, it's not that it's not important, as we'll see here, but it's not the most the, the great focus of things. So my hope is, as we look at the extremes of slavery, master to slave, that you'll see also that this applies across the continuum when you're trying to do good in the world and do some actual work to accomplish that good in the world. And that the principles involved that Paul talks about here help us to live this out in ways that whether we're slaves and masters or we're just employee and employer, or maybe just in a nonprofit group together seeking to do good in the world, that these principles of doing good and working together would help us to make wise decisions, to honor God, 
and to glorify God in our world. So let's look at the text together. And I've put it up here in, in colored form so you can see some of the contrasts to it. So let's read it, and then I'll notice the contrast. It says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ." Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether, whether he is bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their set master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. A couple of things I want you to notice. notice that there's both negative, there's a, a, he defines something that, that's negative about how slaves need to serve and negative about how masters need to serve, but also that because this is do the same to them, you ha- obviously he's not saying obey your slaves. He's not saying that. But he, what is he saying then? He's saying everything else about this applies to how masters do their work as well. And so what you see here is you have, you have several withs in English. You have with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. Um, ultimately, this is kind of a uh, with rendering service with a, good, with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So you have three different ones here. But actually, this in Greek, this with is, is an in. So you could translate it more, obey your earthly master's in the realm of a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of people pleasers, um, do it, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. And then two things that help this sincere heart are with fear and trembling and with a good will, rendering service as to the Lord and not to man. Notice also that he, um, he does something for the bondservants, a knowledge point for the bondservants, knowing that whatever good anyone does, and also he does a knowledge point for the masters, knowing that he who is both your master and yours is in heaven, that there is no partiality with him. So there's a lot of parallel ideas here that he is, is trying to get across in this, in this passage. So um, I want to kind of break this down and kind of do a deep dive into it to say, okay, how does this work? What is he trying to say? And to do that, I want to start with the idea of bond servants and look at point number two, how to support well. How to support well. So go, I'm just going to go back here for a second to the text, right? So this, the idea of this, this is the, the, the key idea here with a sincere heart, or I, I would put it maybe in English, maybe a little fuller explanation, with, with integrity, Okay. So with integrity. So integrity means that your outside and your inside lives match up. Okay? So your outside, the, the life that people can see, the behaviors you have, the, the, the stances you take, the, the words you say, and the inside, the attitudes you have, that you're, the thoughts you, you're, you're thinking to yourself, that those two lives match up. They, 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 they're, they're unified. It's not, it's not, oh, well, okay, when I'm at work, I, I, you know, I try to please my boss and make him think that I like him when I think I hate him. You know what I mean? Like, it's a, he's an idiot, you know, but, but I'm never going to tell him that because 
Um, yeah, I lose my job or whatever, right? Um, and so, so, so the idea is he's going for integrity. He's saying that one of the key aspects here of, of living our lives is, is both for masters and for slaves, as we'll see, um, is that we would have integrity in, in, in our actions, in our responses, in what we do. And of course, that's so important, right? Because if you're playing a false face, so to speak, at work, eventually people figure it out. Like, if you hate your coworkers, eventually they're going to figure it out, you know? Or if you hate your job, or if you're really negative about something, eventually that comes out. So being able to live with integrity, having the inside of my life and the outside of my life match up is really important. And here he's saying, to, to have that kind of integrity, you need to have two, two areas that are done well in regards to this. And, and that's the with fear and trembling and with a good will rendering service. So those two withs help you to have good integrity. Okay? So let's look at the first one, how, uh, which is with fear and trembling. I was ironic looking at this, and I'm going to use this as an illustration here of something else on the side, all right? So, I don't know, did I put this? Okay. Um, so, when you do a word study on fear and trembling, here's a, a, a commentary or a lexical commentary comment on the word trembling, okay? It is used 30 times in the Septuagint, that is the the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and five times in the New Testament, and always has the idea of shaking or trembling. The term specifically do denotes the manifest, outward manifestation of fear, fear so great that it cannot, that it cannot be concealed. So they're saying uh, fear and trembling. Trembling means uh, I'm, I'm physically shaking, okay? Um, in the passage, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Because if you're supposed to obey your masters with fear and trembling, but the masters aren't supposed to even threaten you. I mean, not much less beat you. <laughs> They're not supposed to threaten you. Then physically shaking because I'm so afraid doesn't make a lot of sense, okay? This is, this is like, okay, think a little more clearly about the text. So I ran into another lexical entry, which I think was helpful. It says, with fear and trembling. So... It takes it more as a, which is very true, this fear and trembling is a, is, a, is a kind of a phrase. It's not just two words that are trying to explain each other. It's actually a phrase. And it says, used to describe the anxiety of one who distrusts his ability completely to meet all requirements, but religiously does his utmost to fulfill his duty. So for those of you who like to study deeply the text of Scripture, well, one thing I'm just pointing out is that just doing a word study on a, a word and how it's used is not always that helpful. You have to understand context, and you have to understand how language is used. Here, in a sense, with fear and trembling, is another word for the English word anxiety, which doesn't totally solve our problem. <laughs> because if Paul is saying that we... The bondservants should, should, um, should obey their masters with anxiety. <laughs> We're still like, well, what does that mean then? I can get don't shake in fear, but what does it mean that 
to anxiety. It's, it's interesting because the, medically speaking, there's studies out there that say that the body actually gets rid of anxiety through trembling. Um, if you've ever been with your wife after she's delivered a baby, there's a period of time where her body just literally shakes. And it's not because she's having a problem. It's simply because her body is getting rid of all of the pent-up energy that goes into the anxiety of labor. Maybe you, you, you ever notice somebody that's just sitting there and they're, they're like, their, their, their foot's tapping, <laughs> their, their knee's shaking, right? Certain people like that, they, they might be a little more, in a sense, high anxiety. Or maybe they're feeling the anxiety and their body is, is in a sense, literally shaking in order to release it. But the, but the point is, is that they have anxiety. And what's interesting here is, is Paul, in a sense, is commanding a little anxiety. Why is that? I think it's because we need to acknowledge that you're usually anxious because you're vulnerable in some way. You have some sort of something that you're vulnerable to, that you can't, that you can't control, that it's not fully under your control. And if we look at the world of work, we would intellectually acknowledge that when you do work, you're not fully in control of how it goes. You're not fully in control of how the results you get. You're not fully in control of of the, the way your coworkers respond or your bosses respond, that, that you, when you do work, that this is a part of just actually the way humans exist. That, that we aren't in full control, that we'll, when we enter into doing work, that we are vulnerable. And so, what, in a sense, what Paul is saying here is, when you, when you get into the world of work, if you don't acknowledge that you're vulnerable, if you don't experience that emotion at some level, then you're not entering into it fully. You're, in, in some ways, and we, we recognize this, right? Some people, they go into work and they're all about creating this boundary so they're never vulnerable, right? Like they go into work and they're like, well, I do exactly what my boss says and I do nothing else because as long as I do exactly what he says, I'm not vulnerable, right? And when the boss comes and says, well, I meant this or I said, I, I, was, I was including this even though I didn't say it, they're like, well, you didn't say it, right? And so they create these boundaries, in a sense, so that they're not vulnerable. But the reality is, as human beings, God put us in a world, and he said, make a garden of it. And then he looked around and he said, oh, Adam, you're vulnerable. <laughs> you need some help. You need a helper. And I will make a helper to help you. Not to demonstrate that, and in some ways you could say, well, Adam could have done it alone. Maybe, you know what I mean, right? But the point is, is that, that alone we're vulnerable, that we need, we need a helper, we need, we need help in the process. And whether it's marriage or work or family, we all have a certain vulnerability here. And that means, in some ways, that we should be anxious. There should be a certain level of anxiety. I'm not talking about an anxiety that then makes you extrapolate and say, well, if I'm not capable to do the job, then uh, my boss is going to fire me and all my life's going to fall apart. And an anxiety that just becomes a false prophet, if you will, and, and makes false prophecies about how this is going to go. It's just the, the level of anxiety that recognizes that I am not sufficient alone. That this is not just up to me. 
and that I need to acknowledge that in, in, in how I think about the, the work I'm entering into, and I need to consider that fact as I, in the interactions and the, and the, and the, the, the work that I am doing. Sometimes, I, I realize this is a touchy subject because in some ways we're talking about mental health. But at the same time, a, what Paul is saying is a certain level of anxiety is, is just being human. It's actually good. Like if you deny it or try to push it away, you're actually denying who you are as a human being. And that is worse You know, sometimes older people complain about younger people that they just don't, um, they don't seem to be tough enough, maybe, or something like that. I, I don't always see that, but I, I do see sometimes that, that young people have been trained by their parents or whoever, their work people in the world, to assume that they can get rid of all anxiety. I don't think that's what it means to be human. I don't think you can get rid of all anxiety. Ask a parent, even after their children are out of the house, <laughs> if they don't still have a certain level of anxiety, even though they cannot control what their children do. And so, in a sense, what Paul is saying here is, to slaves, first of all, he's saying, admit your vulnerability. In a sense, embrace your vulnerability. It will allow you to have integrity in your outside and inside lives if you at least understand and accept that you have a certain level of vulnerability entering into work, seeking to do what your master says to do, and that if you, that if you, uh, you, you need to enter into that. You just, just think about it. What does it mean to admit your vulnerability? What, what does it allow you to do? If you go into work acknowledging that, that I, I'm not going to be able on my own to do everything that I need to do, it keeps you curious. It keeps you curious about how things are going to go. What resources am I going to find out there? Because I don't think I can do it fully on my own. It also keeps you open to opportunities. It's not like, okay, I've created this box and I'm just going to stay in this box. It keeps you open to, well, I'm, if I'm not going to be able to do it fully on my own, what, what opportunities are going to be out there? It keeps you open to those opportunities, and it keeps you open to discovering your limitations. You're actually able to walk in grace and realize, I don't have to fulfill it all. God didn't make me to be the savior of X company. God didn't make me one of the freshmen to be the savior of food service. <laughs> that would have been a dream. Um, nightmare for most people, honestly. Um, and so I'm open to discovering my limitations. I'm, I'm willing to live within those limitations at work. Not over-promise and under-deliver when my boss asks me to do something, right? And so admitting my vulnerabilities, being willing to enter into that, allows me then to live in such a way that I'm, I'm consistent internally and externally in how I live. Now this is, in a sense, this is also hints of the Trinity, honestly. Why? Because God is not a God alone. He's not like, like God the Father didn't exist for eternity. And then he's like, you know what? I'm kind of getting lonely, so I'll make God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, and I'll have a couple people to talk to. No, from eternity, God has been three in one. He's never been alone, one person just talking to himself. He's always had this interaction going on between the three of them. And that makes that somewhat vulnerable in that sense. As, 
as we'll see a little bit later. But it, but it ultimately means God did not make us to be alone. He wants us to create things with others. He wants us to welcome them and enjoy their contributions. And this is vital to what it means to be human, just as we reflect that image of God. And so it helps us keep our integrity. Your story is dependent on others' contributions. You, 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 you're not just living your life alone. God, Paul here is saying, don't deny it. Work with it. Enter into, embrace that vulnerability. But there's another aspect here that he's saying that helps us live this way, and that's, um, he says here, not, not as people pleasers, right? Sorry, I need to find the text. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. This is amazing that he's saying this to slaves. He's saying, have not just do the work, not just be vulnerable about the fact that you can't, but seek to do it with, with a good will, with, with a good attitude, wanting, wanting good to result from what you do, both in the work that you do and the relationships that you have. And the commentary put it this way. They are ones, people pleasers are ones who have no real interest in their work, but only aim at making a favorable impression on their owners by fits of ostentatious zeal. I like that last phrase. By fits of ostentatious zeal, right? You, you know the person, right? When they're at work. Like when the boss is around, they're like really enthusiastic, highly energetic, and like whatever the boss needs, they do with full, full energy, get it done as fast as possible. When the boss is not around, totally different energy situation, right? It's just kind of do the minimum it takes. And, and he's saying those are people pleasers. They're just, when the boss is around, they want to get the reward of being noticed, and so they devote themselves to that. Paul's answer to this is, is interesting because it, like when you talk to, about government, Romans 13 or other places, Paul, Paul says that the government is in the place of God, that is, like, it's, you're relating to God uh, through the experience of relating to the person in government. But here, in, in, in this area of work, it's the opposite. What, in a sense, what Paul is saying is, just take the boss out of the way. <laughs> just get him out of the way and make it about between you and Christ. They're not God, <laughs> and what they say is not necessarily God-related, but, so get him out of the way. Just get him out of the way for a second and remember that you serve Christ. You serve Christ first and foremost in what you do. And another point in the commentary, it says this, likely slaves have endless reasons to harbor resentment, especially when masters perpetuate great injustices against them. Thus Paul, realizing that slaves could harbor many justified resentments, reminds them that ultimately their obligation is to the Lord and not the people. You get what he's saying there? He's saying, look, your masters, you can have justified resentment about how your, your boss is treating you. They could be poor, a poor boss. But Paul is saying, get your boss out of the way. <laughs> Realize that you serve God first and foremost. And then he adds this motivation, this 
mental note, if you will. He says, knowing, what does he tell them that they should remember? Knowing that whatever good anyone does, and then he emphasizes it. He says, this, it's like a point of, of emphasis in the Greek. This he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. So he's saying this, God is watching you way better than any human boss or any human master could do. And he rewards way better than men do. This is your your point of motivation. This is why you get your boss out of the way, so to speak, is because God is watching you and rewards you better than men do. This is also helpful maybe for guys that are thinking, well, I just want to, I don't want to be under the man, you know what I mean? I want to be the man. I want to own my own business and do my own thing. And just, just to say to, to guys, if you're feeling tempted in the way, not that that might not be the best option for you, but it might not be the best option for you. Sometimes it's better to not be the guy. It's not always the wisest thing. God can reward you even though you're not your own boss, is the point. Because it's, well, whoever's the boss, whether you're the boss or some other guy's the boss or whatever, is, it's, it's not about that. It's about the fact that God can reward you whatever you're doing. He sees all the good that you do and rewards you. So, so think about that first and foremost in how you operate and what you do. And this goes back to that point of how to support well. How to, as I'm coming into the work environment, I'm coming in from the standpoint of, I want to have integrity as I work. I'm going to embrace my vulnerability, and I'm going to embrace the fact that I'm not doing it just to get a raise, or just to be noticed, or just to get that promotion. I'm doing it because Christ notices what I do. And I want to do good in my work. But then he turns to masters, right? And again, he says this phrase, masters do the same to them. Not threatening. This, in a sense, destroys the basis for slavery. Because if masters have to have the same attitudes toward the slaves, if they have to view themselves as equivalent to the slave, then then it's not like, well, I deserve to be here, and they deserve to be here, you know, whether it's based on uh, color of skin or, um, you know, my country conquered your country or whatever basis you want to put in place there, none of those, those statuses matter when he says masters do the same to them. He's saying everything I've said to slaves about entering into work, masters, you need to enter into work in the same way. You need to have the same kind of integrity. Your, your outside life and your inside life need to measure up. You need to appreciate your own vulnerability when you come into work. Like, just because you're the master or you're the boss doesn't mean that you're going to be able to get all the work done that you need to get done. That you're vulnerable in the same way. And that vulnerability, if you don't appreciate that, if you don't enter into it with that kind of attitude, also keeps you from having integrity. It keeps you from understanding where you're at. And of course, he says this in such a way as he says, without threatening. And of course, in a slave-master relationship, you had a lot of power, right? You could threaten and you could follow through. But Paul here is saying to Christian masters, he's saying, you should not even threaten the use of physical force. 
This, he's not saying, therefore, that you shouldn't say, here's the consequences to your actions. <laughs> but what he's saying is you shouldn't threaten harm or suffering. So one, one lexical commentary said it could maybe mean boastful promise as well, that idea that oh, I'm just going to boast in what we can get done if you would just follow me, you know. But I don't see a lot of evidence of that for, in, in reality, although it's a good point. But bosses should seek the good, the goodwill of their slaves or their employees, as well as themselves. That's what Paul is saying here. Doing goodwill, good service, doing service with the goodwill. That applies to masters as well as to slaves. It applies to bosses as well as to employees. That, that idea that, again, when you're in charge, whether you're the ultimate boss of a company or you're somewhere in the middle, a lot of bosses also seek invulnerability. They protect themselves from criticism by showing up, but not personally entering into the process. They demand their workers perform regardless of the circumstances. They demand people in charge of them never set goals too ambitiously or too ambiguously. They just have this idea that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect myself from being vulnerable because I'm in the, sometimes I'm in the middle. And Paul here is saying, no, embrace your vulnerability. Understand that you are limited and you can't fulfill everything that you are called to do by God or by your, your bosses. Queen Elizabeth died this week, right? I'm sure most of you have heard that. And as Americans, uh, sometimes we're just like, we're glad we don't have a queen, <laughs> right? But she was worthy of respect. She did an admirable job. And I was watching um, a clip when she gave her first speech as queen. And, and she said this. She said, I can't make new laws for you. I can't give you jobs. I can't. There's so many things I basically she couldn't do, right? But she says, I can give you my heart. That was an amazing phrase if you think about it, right? She's saying, I'm the queen, but, and, I, and I can't do a, a lot necessarily, but I can give you my heart. I can love you. I can seek the best for you. And, and that is an example of, of being vulnerable in that sense, of entering into the process and saying, this is, these are my limitations, but this is what I'm going to do in the midst of, of the job that we're going to do together. And oh, if you're in a place of responsibility over others, don't threaten those underneath you. Be clear about consequences, but don't threaten and don't protect yourself. Instead, seek to ensure things are mutually, mutually beneficial to the parties involved with the work. And Paul gives the knowledge point that would help with this. He says, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. He's saying there's an ultimate God on the throne. There's no man that's ultimately in charge. And there is no partiality with him. God does not look at us and, well, he's the president, so he gets a pass. <laughs> or he's the CEO, so no, there's no partiality with God. God does not play favorites. 
And so to lead well means to embrace my vulnerability and at the same time to not threaten and to seek to do good to my employees in such a way that, that, that I can have good integrity at work. I can say this is what I can do and this is what I can't do. This is, how I, this is what we can accomplish and this is what we need to uh, seek to accomplish together. And so just, sorry, that was point number three, how to lead well which gets us to point number four, the opportunity we have. Here's the opportunity we have as Christians. You see, God is creating this new community. Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, we are, we are a new body in Christ, Gentiles and Jews together. This body that God is making into a new temple, a new dwelling place for God in the Spirit. But it means that, that to do that, we have to be vulnerable with each other. And seek to honor God as best we can, even though we know that we can't honor God very well. And yet, he's called us to do that. And we do that better when we're vulnerable and we seek to do it together. By working together with those of different statuses and different power situations and different, different socioeconomic scenarios. When we do that together, we honor God and we live in peace. This requires us individually to accept some vulnerability and therefore anxiety. There's a certain level of, okay, I don't know how this is going to go, that we have to accept and we have to work in. But God never commands us to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself. And God became vulnerable right in the person of Jesus Christ. He became human like us. He lived among us and he was hungry, he was thirsty, and he, he worked with his disciples and he told them to do things and they didn't do it quite the way he wanted them to do and he had to work with that and he was vulnerable. And yet, he did it to heal us. He did it to love us. Look, this is, this is clear here. Is if you don't accept a certain level of that anxiety that comes with this, and, and turn to God with it and ask God to help you with it and ask others to help you with it, then what, what enters in is, is shame. Shame comes in when we don't acknowledge our human vulnerability and, we, and it, it tries to pull us away and tear us apart and say, just separate your outside life from your inside life. Just make sure, you know, just make sure nobody sees either side fully. But submission allows that to come together in ways that help us to flourish and help us to heal I mean, it's very similar to the parable of the talents, right? Where Jesus tells his disciples, look, there was a, a ruler and he had servants and he gave one servant five and another three and another one. And he said, I'm going to come back in, in several years and, and see how it's going. And he left. And the guy who was five made f five more. And the guy who was three made three more. And the guy who was one, he took it and he buried it. He was invulnerable. He's like... I'm just not going to lose it. And then the master comes back, and the guy who's, you know, got five, here's, you know, I, I got five more, I got ten. The guy who's three, I got three more, I got six. The guy who's one was like, oh, here, I, I got the one you had because I knew you were harsh and I didn't want to lose it, so I hit it. And, and the king reserves the harsh words for the guy who hides it, and it's, it's very important what he says. He's like, uh, you could have just put it in the bank. You could, have, you could have lost it for all I care, but you didn't try. 
You didn't, you didn't enter into the process. You didn't do anything with it. And that's what I gave it to you to do. I didn't give you talents and abilities and energy and life in order for you to do nothing. I gave you, gave you it to do something with it. And yes, it might not go the way you want it to go. And it may not happen in all the ways that you wanted it to happen. But trust me, <laughs> work with me here. You see, God has integrity. God has integrity. And we should relate to him as if he does. As if he's a master that is vulnerable with us, cares about us, invites us into the process that he is working on, and rewards us. I will say that our world does not. Our world does not have integrity all the time. And therefore, this is in a section where Paul is, uh, Paul is saying, be wise. <laughs> And by, be wise, what he's saying is don't take these ideals and then apply them in, without, without thinking, well, I'm, I'm supposed to be vulnerable in this situation, so I'll be vulnerable. Well, be wise about it. If it's, you, you might need to protect yourself sometimes because <laughs> our world is not. There's um, several verses of Proverbs that go in with this. Proverbs 1 talks about it immediately. It's talking about a group of people, and they're like, throw in your lot with us. We will all have one purse, but it's all for the purpose of doing violence to those. And, and the point in life is, if sometimes you're like, well, we should just all be together, and we should just all have one common person. We should just all live together, kind of communally. And Proverbs wisdom would say, that just invites violence. And we see it in our world today. But the opposite is also true, Okay. Proverbs 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. If com living communally is, invites violence, well, he's also saying, trying to live totally alone and just do your own thing and be your own person also invites violence <laughs> in some ways against yourself. I didn't put this in here, Jed. Maybe since you're getting engaged, you just thought I should put it in. You are engaged. He who finds a good wife, finds a wife, finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I'm just going to pick on Jed because he put it in my slides there. <laughs> but it's true too, right? Like God didn't want us to live alone, right? We're supposed to submit to one another and work together. But this is what I was going for here. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. Again, we, we live in a world of suffering, and that part of the reason why we work is to alleviate suffering. But we should remember that ultimate relief from suffering doesn't come from man, it comes from God. Proverbs 23, 1 says this, When you sit down to eat with the ruler, observe carefully what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you're given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive to you. There are times when you should protect yourself. When you should say, this is not a good situation. I'm going to do what it takes to protect myself. <laughs> I, I was listening to somebody talk about labor negotiations, like the union was trying to negotiate with the business to say, okay, how's this going to work? And he was saying they were... They were treating it as if it was an antagonistic relationship, and so I had to protect myself. If you're in a situation where, if you're the employee or you're the boss, and the other person is treating it as antagonistically, you, you, 
you have to do something in, in that process to treat it antagonistically. You can't just be like, well, I'm supposed to be vulnerable even though they're not. <laughs> you got to think that through. And it, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it, you always have the right wisdom, but you, you have to understand this. And this is, this is why in our world broadly, right, you have this, this, this tension. But, but God's solution is better, Okay? Karl Marx wrote Mein Kampf, which means my suffering. <laughs> he was saying, I'm suffering so much, and I just think we should all live together communally and just do all this together. And he created the idea of communism, right? And he said, we could have a perfect world if we can do that. Uh, someone who experienced a little bit of Mein Kampf's results was Ayn Rand, and she came to the U.S. ultimately, and she wrote Atlas Shrugged, which is all about just live for yourself, be individualistic, you know, be a capitalist, but be uh, an individualist capitalist, you know. <laughs> Just live for yourself, because otherwise you're going to suffer. God's solution is neither one of those. God's solution is, you're vulnerable, you're human. Learn to submit in your relationships. Learn to wisely do that in ways that can build together and, and, and recognize that God is the ultimate one that we're living for. So that's my encouragement to you, is seek to have integrity at work. And to an extent, do it with joy. I, was, I ran across this story, uh, uh, Pepper Sweetie is a, he lives in Cincinnati, and um, he, you know, in today's world, you do a lot of conference calls. So he was at Starbucks early in the morning, kind of prepping for some conference calls, and he's on his laptop, and he looks up and realizes, okay, it's time to go uh, back home for the conference call, um, but uh, it's raining, and he wasn't expecting rain, uh, which is usually not a big deal, right? But he had driven his Jeep with the top down to Starbucks. So He's like, what can I do? I got to get back for this conference call. So he, he jumps in his Jeep and he's driving through Cincinnati with the top down. You know what I mean? And it's pouring rain. And he's laughing at kind of the, the joy of doing this, you know, because what's happening? Like people are noticing, like, you know, he pulls up to a stop sign, somebody pulls, I mean, if, what would you do if you pulled up a stop sign, it's pouring down rain, and the guy sitting next to you is, like, sitting there in the rain, you know, you'd, you'd honk, you'd wave, you're like, hey, sorry for you, buddy, <laughs> right, and, you know, and that's what they were doing, and he was laughing with them, and, you know, how, how ridiculous the situation was, but, but it was kind of enjoyable, right, because it, it is what it is, and you could embrace it, and live with it, and find the joy in it, and that's what Paul is saying about submission. He's saying, this is who we are as human beings. We have limitations. We have, God has put us in, in, in relationships where he wants us to come together. He wants us to live, and he wants us to live with joy. So find the joy. Find the joy in, in submitting to one another, in, in seeking to honoring and encourage one another. Find the joy in, in, in seeing that you ultimately are being rewarded by Christ and not by men. Find the joy. And when you do that, can you imagine, you know, 
you know, you pull up to some guy, he's in the rain, and you're honking like, wave, I'm glad I'm not you. And he just laughs with you at this. He's not, I mean, some of us would be tempted to like, no, no, stop. I hate that. Some of us get, leave me alone, right? By finding the joy, we spread light and we spread love and we help others be like, well, what's he got that I don't have? Because he's joyful in situations I wouldn't be joyful in. So find the joy in submitting, recognizing your vulnerability, living with integrity, knowing that God rewards you regardless of what men notice. And if you have to care for other people, remember that he's not playing favorites. So treat people well. And when you can find the joy in that, ah, what light you can spread because of the grace that you've received. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you became vulnerable for us and a God who is immortal and invisible became visible and died to rescue us from our death, to rescue us from our destruction, to rescue us from our shame and and the ways that we beat ourselves up and we beat others up because we can't get what we want. And, and instead you give us grace to know that we're chosen and redeemed and adopted and loved. Lord, help us to rejoice in that. Help us to find the joy in the midst of submitting to one another so that we can honor one another and build something good in our world, to do something in all of the darkness, to provide light and love in in ways that make people wonder, what do they have that we don't have? And it's all because of you. Help us to live, not envying one another, not despising one another, not shooting at one another, but seeking to submit in love to honor you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.